Thank you, Mark, for that song. What a truth that is. You know, this week, Tony McCormick and I got to be the teen teachers for Vacation Bible School. And while we were focusing on being fearfully and wonderfully made and we're sharing with them many facts about creationism and life in the womb and all of that, I had the opportunity to share with them my testimony and remind them that we don't believe in God simply because of facts, but because of what he's done for us. And as every time I share my testimony about how God saved me, I, I still am amazed that God saved me. I, I don't deserve it. I am such a sinner. And I was not looking for God when he came looking for me. And I'm telling you, salvation is something you just never, ever get over. I'm so glad to be saved and to be serving a good God. If you have your Bible with you, would you open it to Ephesians chapter 4? We took a week off from our Ephesians study as we uh, dealt with the text that we were focusing on for Vacation Bible School from Psalm 139. And today we pick back up where we left off in Ephesians, uh, verse 12. Uh, actually, I'd like to begin in verse 11 and uh, make this bridge here and read through verse 16. It says, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine and slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive." But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's go to God in prayer and ask him to be our teacher today. Dear Heavenly Father, we understand that our exercise today is fruitless if you are not here, if you are not central to it. We are thankful to know that we don't have to wonder or wish you to be here, but that you have promised that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you are in the midst. And we are so thankful to have your word, to know that as we read the Bible that we are hearing your voice, that you have spoken and that it has been preserved for us today so that we can deal with and in the truth. Father, I pray today as individual Christians and as a collective body that we would understand this process, this mechanism, this path for growth and that we would do our part to contribute and not just be consumers. Father, help us to have our eyes open today to receive your word, and Lord, to grow thereby, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, growth is supposed to be uh, a normal progression for physical and spiritual life. We, we live in this context, in this world. We observe it every single day. Every time there's a baby born, every time there's a child sent off to school, every time there's a graduation, we are reminded that we begin life. We all begin life as infants. Any of y'all born fully grown with all your teeth and everything, right? None of us. 
We all begin as infants. And then for the first 18 to 20 years of our life, we grow physically. And this happens naturally and universally, right? And so that, that's, that is the norm. That is the standard. Everybody, everywhere begins life as infants. And for the first 18 to 20 years, they grow as long as it is not interrupted by injury, illness, or insufficient nutrition. Right? We know people that sometimes their growth is stunted because they have an illness or there's an injury that, uh, that inhibits that. Or in some countries where there's insufficient nutrition, uh, people don't grow or reach that full potential that they could have. Uh, furthermore, we continue to grow or develop even after full physical maturity. And so as we think about it, for those first 18 years or so, we are growing, right? These bones are still growing and forming and the muscles and we're getting taller, developing and all of that stuff. But even after we are physically mature, we can still grow in areas of strength, right? Uh, we can grow those muscles. We can grow in agility. We, we can advance those motor skills. We can grow in intelligence. Intelligence. We can continue our education and study and application and there is a literal physical growth that takes place. Likewise, Christians begin spiritual life by being born again as babies in Christ. And so this, this universal experience that we all have and that we witness every single day is also an illustration of what the spiritual life is supposed to be like. If you remember, Jesus made a direct correlation between physical birth and spiritual birth when he was explaining salvation to Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. By night, Jesus says, hey, you can't enter into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. That is brand new language, never been said by anybody else. Isaiah, Jeremiah, David, none of them ever said anything about being born again. This is the very first time that concept is introduced in Scripture. Nicodemus doesn't understand it. What do you mean be born again? How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born? The only thing he knows is physical birth and Jesus says hey uh, just as you are born physically you must be born spiritually that which is born of the flesh is flesh but that which is born of the spirit is spirit marvel not that I say unto thee you must be born again and so what's the principle what's the correlation the correlation is that spiritually when you and I trust Jesus Christ we don't come into this thing full grown even if we are full grown physically when we get saved if you're 20 40 60 when you get saved you start off as a spiritual infant and while Christians are supposed to grow spiritually I would say that it does not seem to happen as easily or automatically as physical growth you really have to do little the first 18 years of your life to grow right I mean you eat a little bit you sleep a little bit and bam you're you're growing but the Christian life doesn't seem to advance in growth that easily or that automatically. It requires something. It requires a regular diet of the Word of God. Do you remember what 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 2 says? It says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. That word sincere means pure, unadulterated, or not watered down. 
And so the Bible is teaching us that if I'm a newborn babe in Christ and I want to grow, then I have to have a diet of the Word. It is what is going to stimulate and fuel the growth in my life. The Bible is the nutrition source for a Christian's spiritual growth. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That word bread was somewhat generic. It just meant the daily intake of food. And so Jesus says, hey, look, you, you need more for your spiritual life than just physical food. You have to have a spiritual food. That spiritual food is the word of God. But you know there's another component to spiritual and physical growth and that's exercise or exertion, right? Think about this. Hebrews 5 says this, and I'll just read it to you for time. Uh, For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What's going on in Hebrews chapter 5? And just track with me for a minute. We're coming back to Ephesians, but I need to frame this out for you. In Hebrews 5, the writer is actually scolding the people a little bit who are receiving this letter. He says, hey, look, you're at a point in your Christian life where you ought to be mature and advanced and grown enough to be teachers. But instead of being teachers, you need somebody to teach you again the elementary principles of the Word of God. You can't be fed with meat. You still have to be bottle-fed with milk. He says, the people who can eat meat are the ones who have grown to full age or full maturity and have exercised themselves or used their intake to develop this and so what we find here is a is a parallel spiritual principle that goes along with the physical is that if I really want to grow and develop not only do I have to have the proper nutrition coming in but I actually got to put this body in motion because there is a trigger reaction that happens when I begin to exert myself and to use the muscles that God gave me that builds those things up and not only the muscles but actually strengthens the bones and does good for my entire body the same is true for spiritual growth if you want to grow spiritually you have to have a regular diet of the word of God and you have to have some exertion some exercise but here's the great hindrance to our spiritual growth it is our sinful flesh Uh, and I think that there's a good parallel here too Uh, it's the carnal cravings of our flesh that keeps us from the intake that we're supposed to have of the Word of God and doing what we're supposed to do. So it's the same in your physical life, is it not? All of us know that we're supposed to eat right. And if you don't know that you're supposed to eat right, when you go to the doctor once a year, he tells you that you're supposed to eat right. So we all know it, but do we all eat right? right? You're in church now, be honest. Well, of course not. We don't eat right. Why? Because the bad food tastes better. The junk food tastes better. And so a lot of us are intaking food, but it's not health-giving food. It's not life-giving food. It's not muscle-building food. It's not energy-giving food. 
And then the other part of that is we all know that we're supposed to exercise, right? And if we don't know that, again, the doctor tells us that we're supposed to exercise when we go. But there's something in us that doesn't want to go exercise, right? Well, I've worked today. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't feel like going and doing this. And so there's a big difference between knowing what we're supposed to do and doing it. And the same is true spiritually. We all know that we're supposed to read our Bible. We all know that we're supposed to be in church where the Bible is taught. We all know that we're supposed to do something for the Lord, that we're supposed to serve Him with the gifts that He's given to us. But there is this carnality that we are enwrapped in, that, that this redeemed soul is still housed in this sinful flesh, and this flesh does not want to do that it wants to eat junk food and sit on the couch and Paul addresses that in another letter in 1 Corinthians 3 he says I brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal even as unto babes in Christ I have fed you with milk and not with meat for hitherto you were not able to bear it neither yet now are you able for you are yet carnal for whereas there is among you Envying, strife, divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? And so that's what we're up against. We're supposed to have this spiritual growth that's taking place from the time that we get born again. But there's this hindrance of our flesh that, that gets all fussy and doesn't want to eat its spiritual vegetables and uh, do its spiritual exercise. Here's the good news. The good news is that we have a path and we have a process for spiritual growth in Christ that is laid out for us in Ephesians 4, 12 through 16. That's what Paul is laying out. So as he's writing to the church, remember, he's transitioned from the positional to the practical, from the theoretical to, uh, to, to the implementation, and, and he begins in chapter 4 by talking about unity. We've got to be united and keep the unity of the body. And then he talks about the gifts that were given to the body of Christ. And now he talks about the growth and the health of the body of Christ. And so he is not speaking theoretically. Theoretically, he is speaking very plainly, and he is giving us a plan and a process for spiritual growth. We have taken this chapter in bite-sized pieces, right? We broke it down, verses 1 through 6, and then verses 7 through 11, and now verses 12 through 16. Uh, but I would remind you that there is no disconnect between verse 11 and verse 12. As a matter of fact, if you look at the punctuation, it is one sentence, and so everything in verses 12 through 16 is predicated on verse 11. Verse 11 is the key. This is the foundation. And then it triggers what happens in verses 12 through 16. It is actually the function of what I would call these expository gifts that set in motion the sequence of events in verse 12. Right? Expository gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, Teacher, They all have to do with proclaiming the Word of God. Think of it this way. The ministry of the Word is the central cog in the machine that drives everything else. Right? If you've ever seen the inner workings of a clock or, 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 or a watch and, and you see those cog mechanisms and there's usually one main cog that's driving and it's got all these other ancillary cogs that are operating off of it. And if the main cog stops, then everything else then stops. But if that main cog is moving the way it's supposed to, it's going to set in motion a process. 
That's what's happening here in verses 11 through 16. Verse 11 is the main cog. It's the expository gifts that are given to the body of Christ. And when that cog is moving the way it's supposed to, it's going to set in motion and trigger this sequence of events that happens in verse 12. To understand how important the ministry of the Word is in the program of Christ, would you take a look at Acts chapter 6 with me? Again, we're laying the foundation. We're going to come back to Ephesians. But we have to understand what is writing on what Paul is writing. There's a reason why he gave the order in which he gave it. There's a reason why he states that these gifts were given to the church, these expository gifts. And then when those gifts are given to the church and they are used, then there is this sequence of events that happens in verse 12. And that results in the growth and health of the body of Christ. How important is the ministry of the Word? Well, for you and I, as Baptists, we're programmed to say this is an important ministry. But can I tell you, you can visit a lot of other churches where this isn't the main cog in the machine. Right? So are we just bent a certain way? Are we just stubborn old Baptists, you know, thinking that we've got to preach hellfire and brimstone and, and use this archaic book? Do the others have it figured out that the church is really just about being good neighbors and being kind to each other and having a social impact on our world? Because everything's about social justice now and there's so many injustices and we're supposed to be a machine for that. And I say to you that biblically speaking, without the main cog the rest of it simply makes the world a better place from which lost people go to hell what's it matter if we put shocks on their car if their destination is the eternal lake of fire and so yes we should be doing other things but we cannot neglect the main thing how central is it? Well, Acts 6 gives us an idea. This is the very beginning of the church. The ascension of Christ has happened. The, the gifts have come. The Holy Spirit has fallen. They begin to preach. Thousands of people get saved. The church in Jerusalem is growing, and it's expanding. And because of that, uh, there, is a, there is an uproar. There, there is an injustice that, that, that some of the Grecian widows, those that were born outside of Israel, were not getting the same treatment that, that the Hebrew widows were. And so Acts 6 says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve, that is the twelve apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Verse 4, watch their statement. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. What's going on here? Well, I would say what's going on for one is the first attack of Satan against the church. It's one of the first attacks of Satan. He's trying to get in. He's making some murmuring, some divisions. Hey, hey, people aren't getting taken care of the way they're supposed to be get taken care of. And so that arises and it comes up to the apostles. And the apostles have a decision to make. Do we drop what we're doing and go focus on this problem and put this fire out 
Or do we stay on the assignment, the task that was given to us, and employ others in the church to meet this need? Their decision is that they have been given the assignment of the ministry of the word. And it's not that they are saying that the ministry to the widows was not important to them, but that it did not supersede their responsibility to minister the word. Their primary responsibility was to be in the ministry of the word. For without the ministry of the word, everything else loses meaning and it loses momentum. With the word, it all has meaning because it is all redemptive and it is all driving and pointing people to Christ. And with the word, there is momentum because we are reminded that we are doing this for a reason and that God left his throne in heaven, condescended to earth, lived among men, died the death of sinners so that he could save us and redeem us and bring us into his family so that we could live eternally with him. And that gives us momentum and motivation to go out and to serve others And so I'm telling you the word of God, the ministry of the word is fundamental to the function of the church. And so we go back to Ephesians chapter 4 taking the knowledge that we've gathered already about spiritual growth and about uh, the obstacles of spiritual growth and understanding the primacy of the ministry of the word as it's laid out in our text uh, Ephesians 4.11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now we come to verse 12. Why did he give those expository gifts to the church? Why are they named? Right? We know other passages like 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, tell us about other spiritual gifts that he gave to the church. None of those are named. Only the expository gifts are named here. Why? Because those expository gifts, that ministry of the Word, sets in action, verse 12. What does this ministry of the Word do? It is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's my outline. I'm not going to cloudy it with an alliteration. We're just going to take those three, and that's going to be our headings. So number one, for the perfecting of the saints. Perfecting in the King James, in in the time period that this translated, uh, is a word that means complete furnishing and equipping. It is the idea uh, that, that, that the ministry of the word is going to furnish or complete or equip or mature the saints. Who are the saints? Saints are simply saved ones, sanctified ones. They're not people who've lived a great life and venerated in death. When the Bible talks about saints, it's simply talking about people who've been born again. That's the label. Like we would use Christian, the Bible uses saints. So get this, without the ministry of the word, a Christian will not mature fully or be fully equipped. Let that sink in for a moment. Without the ministry of the word... A Christian will not fully mature or be fully equipped. Now, that doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. That doesn't mean that there won't be any spiritual growth in your life. It doesn't mean that you won't do some good things for God and for the kingdom. But it does mean that if you don't have the ministry of the word flowing into your life, you're not going to be fully furnished, completely furnished or equipped. Uh, this is confirmed by 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, right? 
All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished to all good works. It's saying essentially the same thing. It is the Word of God that perfects us, that completes us, matures us, and that equips us for the work of the ministry. While it is important for a Christian to have a personal intake of the Word through daily Bible reading, remember that in this context it is referring to the need of the ministry of the Word through those God has gifted to the church. So follow me here. Do we need to read the Bible ourselves every day? Yes, absolutely. Will this help you grow? Yes, absolutely. I would recommend that every Christian reads their Bible every single day. But we can't say, well, I read my Bible every day. I don't need to go to church. Why? Because in this context, God's not simply talking about you personally reading the Bible. He's talking about those he gifted to teach and proclaim the Bible to the church, and that that is also essential to the equipping and the furnishing of the same. And so I would say this to you. Every Christian needs to be in a Bible-teaching church. Oh, you're just saying that because you're the pastor. Well, no, I would say this. You don't have to be in this church, but you should be in a church that teaches the Bible. We need that ministry to us. We need those who have that gift to be able to bring God's Word into our lives. Practically speaking, you say, well, I I can read the Bible just as well as you can, Justin. Yes, and you may get some things out of the Bible that I don't get out of it. But because God gifted me in this area and and, and the church has called me to this position, recognize that I have the benefit of this being my full-time job, that I get to study God's Word. And, and that's not lost on me. That's a privilege because I've done it both ways. I, I've done it where I, I had to work plus preach on the weekends, and I'm telling you, it's not as easy to do because to study the Word of God and to really get down deep, you need chunks of time to do it. It's hard to do it in 15 minutes here and an hour there and 20 minutes there. You really need some chunks of time where you can get into it and get saturated and follow out those things. I can't tell you how many times I've been on the trail. Oh, man, God's Word is just coming alive, and I'm on the trail, and I'm following the path, and then all of a sudden something interrupts that, and I have to go do something else, and I come back, and I've totally forgot the trail that I was on. Sometimes I refined it. Other times it's after I preach the message that I think, Justin, you forgot to go back and dig out this and, and include it in the message. And so I, I say to you that it is the preaching of the Word that helps to furnish and equip the Christian. What do they need to be equipped for? Well, number two, for the work of the ministry. Notice that this is comprehensive. The ministry of the Word equips the saints to go out and do the work of the ministry. 
The way this is not read is that God gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to do the work, to, to equip with the saints, to do the work of the ministry, and to edify the body of Christ. It, it's not being carried out. All of those functions are not being carried out by uh, the apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. It is those who are equipping the saints so that the saints can then do the work of the ministry. And as they do the work of the ministry, it actually edifies the body of Christ. The word work comes from the Greek word ergon, which means laborious work. It's not just a job that I show up at. You know, not all jobs don't require the same amount of effort, do they? Right? I've heard jokes my entire ministry how that preachers don't work, right? One day a week, and that's all they do. Uh, personally, I always envied the toll booth workers. Uh, I, I, you know, in West Virginia, um, they came in with this ingenious plan that they would just charge everybody for driving on the roads, and somebody has to sit in a box and take your money. That seemed like a pretty uh, low-intensity job to me. Uh, and so we understand that, that we might have a job that requires physical exertion, or we might have one that doesn't. Understand this, this word means exertion, exertion of energy. That, that these saints are equipped and they are developed and they are furnished so that they can exert themselves in the work of the ministry. And make no mistake about it, ministry is work. If you don't ask, if you don't believe me, let me just parade the 60 VBS volunteers up here and, and have a testimony service and they'll tell you it was work. And sometimes uh, I find it to be the most exhausting kind of work. Uh, I, I've done physical labor. I still do it every chance I get. I, I enjoy it. I, I, I'm the odd person, I guess, that I like, I like working hard and getting tired. Ministry is a different kind of exhausting. It's, it's emotionally exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. It, it's spiritually exhausting. And if you have a ministry, if you're a Sunday school teacher or you serve, you know what it is to, to feel that kind of tired. And I say that not to complain, uh, not to try and make anybody uh, feel sorry for us. I simply say that, that you and I need to get to use to the idea that we're supposed to work. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where God called you and I to a life of ease. He called us to be laborers in his field, did he not? For we are laborers together with God. We're stewards. We're going to be called into account. What did you do with the time and the energy and the opportunity that I gave to you? And so every Christian, not, not just the professional ones, not just the full-time ministers, but every one of us are called to labor in the harvest field of the Lord. Now, I think some Christians aren't laboring because they're undernourished. They are not feeding on the Word at church or at home. And you're not going to be able to do it in your own strength. If you're not getting a regular diet of the Word of God, you're not going to have the spiritual energy to go out and serve others. However, there are others who love the dinner table. And every time the word is served up, man, they will be there and they'll take a second helping of it. But they don't want to leave the table and go to the field and work. I can sympathize with that. I, I can remember when I was young uh, being criticized once. I was helping an old guy. I thought he was old. He's probably about my age. I, I, 
we're putting in a culvert in, you know, and uh, in West Virginia, everybody built their house across the creek, and so you either had to build a bridge or a culvert, and so you had to dig it out and put this pipe in and all that stuff. And his complaint uh, about me when I was young was that you work hard till lunchtime and then you fall off after that. Right? Man, I was good to go. I was working hard, but I sat down and ate some lunch, drank me a soda, took in too much sugar. All of a sudden, I didn't really want to hit it so hard after lunch. Well, that'll happen in our Christian lives, too. You see, God's design is that we fuel up on the Word and we get out there and we go to work so that we can accomplish the goal. And only does it do that, it brings fulfillment into our lives. And then that brings us to the third uh, action that is triggered here. And that is for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edify means to build up or to grow. The body of Christ, the church, does not grow if the saints don't work. If the saints don't work. Uh, it doesn't work in this clergy laity model. That, that is a false dichotomy that was created by the Romanists and implemented early on that many follow today. That was never God's design. It wasn't that we have this small working class of Christians that are in full-time employment and then everybody else are consumers. The idea was that we were all laborers together, that we were all to work together, and that as we all began to work together, that this had this dynamic, synergistic effect that it begins to edify the entire body. Think of it as a flow chart. The ministry of the Word is for the equipping of the saints. The equipping of the saints is for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is for the edifying of the body of Christ. If the Word is not ministered, then the saints are not equipped. If the saints are not equipped, then the work of the ministry is not done. And if the work of the ministry is not done, then the body will not be edified. And so church growth is a result of equipped Christians serving where God has placed them. When it all comes together, look what happens. Verses 13 through 16. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Now we're not talking individually. Now we're talking corporately. That the church grows up or is fully furnished unto the measure of the stature of Christ. We, we grow into our head, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we be uh, henceforth no more children. Notice these growth terms. Children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine and slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And then Christ, the head from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is cyclic. And as we get equipped and we go to work, then we edify the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ is being edified, guess what? It starts all back over again. And we have those that are gifted with the ministry of word who can then equip others to go out and do the work of the ministry. And the body just keeps growing and being healthy continuously. The church can't do it without you. 
And you can't do it without the church. You see, this is a marriage, if you will. This is a relationship. And that as I invest individually in the church, then corporately the church invests back in me. I find a similar principle in the marriage passage of Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, God is giving a word of wisdom to husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And then he gives them this practical statement in verse 28. He says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. Wait a minute, how's that work? I mean, if I'm loving her, how am I loving myself? Like, if I was doing self-love, I want to be loving her. What, what's he mean, he that loves his wife loves himself? Well, it's very simple, and I explain this in pre-marriage counseling all the time. You can live very selfishly, and too many, too many married people do. And you spend your money on what you want, and you buy the things that you want, and you want to be self-satisfied. And let me tell you something, loving yourself never fulfills you. But what I've discovered is that if I love my wife the way I love myself, then that love that I put into her all of a sudden gets multiplied and comes back to me better than anything I could have done for myself. And the same is true for you and I in the church. If we will simply go to work for God and invest in the body of Christ, all of a sudden what we are giving away gets multiplied through the gifts that are in the body and it comes back to us multifold. Let me tell you something. I'd rather have my wife's love than have my own love. And I'd rather have the love of the church than the luxury of taking it easy in the Christian life. When we make an investment, it actually benefits us. Church growth is simple. To grow and be healthy, we need to eat and we need to labor. And so let me ask you these two questions. Are you eating right? It's a checkup. The doctor's done seen your scale. He's checked your numbers. He knows your blood pressure, cholesterol, everything else. He already knows. Are you going to be honest? Are you eating Right. We're not talking about food. We're talking about the Word. Do we avail ourselves to the Word teaching ministries of the church? Do we avail ourselves to the small groups that are Word-centered, where we get to speak into others' lives? Are, Are we practicing a daily devotional life where we are feeding ourselves each and every day? If we're not... There's room for improvement in nutrition. We can begin taking a small step in a right direction. The other question is this, are you working? Have you found a place of service in this church? If this is where the Lord has brought you, if you believe that God has placed you here to be a part of this body, are you serving somewhere? Well, that doesn't mean that everybody has to have a weekly service. But it does mean that every one of us ought to be serving some way. Why? Because it's what we were designed for. It's going to make us stronger and help us grow. But it's going to make our church better. It's going to edify this church. It's going to build this church up. And as we do that, it's going to be reinvested back into our lives. And so... I'd say it's decision time for us. What are we going to decide to do? We're going to keep the same habits that we came in here with, or we're going to make some changes that'll be good for us, good for our church, 
good for the kingdom of Christ. Would you bow with me? As we bow our heads, close our eyes for just a moment. We call this time an invitation when we invite people to respond to the Lord. You can do that in your pew. You can do it at the altar. Or you can do it when you go home. What's more important than simply making a show in this moment is making a change that's lived out in the days after this. We all know what we should do. The question is, are we doing it? Only you can answer that question. Only you know what God wants you to do. If you're not doing it, then take a step in that direction. Trust the Lord and let Him be your guide. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the way that your word lays it out for us. Lord, it's not as complicated as we make it so often. Lord, you made it to where we come. We eat the word. The word fuels us. We can go out and serve others and work. And as we do, it builds up the body of Christ. Father, we, we want to be a cog. We, we want to be a faithful part of the mechanism. We don't want to be the hang-up. We don't want to be the sticky gear. We, we don't want to be the one that's inhibiting the process. It's not good for us, and it's not good for the body. And so, Lord, I just pray and ask that you would, by your Spirit, help us to take the steps, make the decision that we need to make today, and to begin living that out each and every day from here. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.